Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the W in Punta Mita in Nayarit, Mexico. My next guest, an expat, a fugitive from the United States who uh, went to UCSD in San Diego and then, for reasons she's now about to explain, came down here and fell in love with a sleepy little coastal town of San Francisco in the state of Nayarit. And now she's the founder and chief bottle washer and cook at Entre Amigos, which she's also going to explain Nicole Swerdlow, how are you? I'm great, thank you. So, first of all, tell me how you how you came down here, how you fell in love with this place and decided, okay, that's it. Because you weren't just coming by yourself, you had a child, too. Yeah, I uh, came on vacation. I thought I would stay for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. How old is your kid? 11 months old. And, yeah, I just, uh, we came down and, and stayed. And so my, my two weeks, you know, turned into two months and two years. And you had the opportunity that I could sort of 
live back and forth or work back and forth. And I figured, you know, I want to be a good mom and maybe spend a little more quality time with my son. And this afforded me the opportunity to do that. And and so my my two years uh, turned into a divorce, actually. And in that moment, I really needed to make some choices about what to do. And uh, So you divorced your husband and married Mexico? Something like that, yeah. maybe. And how many maybe. years have you been down here now? 17. Wow. Yeah. And how old is your son? 17, about to be 18, <laughs> yeah. Now tell me about Entre Amigos. So Entre Amigos means among friends. And uh, I had been living in, in San Pancho for a couple of years. Now and tell everybody where San Pancho is. San Pancho is uh, also known as, official name is San Francisco Nayarit. Right. It's uh, right past Sayulita. It's about an hour outside and of Puerto And by the way, you don't know where Sayulita is. It's a small little art and surfing town, let me tell you. I've been down there many times. It's great. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun place, and and at that time, San Pancho was and, and really quiet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, San Pancho was really quiet. It was sort of the next town up, and so we were the undiscovered, you know, village on the beach. And certainly, when I lived there, there was maybe only two or three people that were that were sort of expats living there, and yet there was this really interesting sort of younger community of people who were looking at. You know, what can I do and what's sort of an alternative life that I could live with my kids? And okay, I was so certainly now, one of those. Entre Amigos. Yeah. Tell me about it. Entre Amigos is a community education center. It started on my kitchen table in the middle of the street. I didn't necessarily have any training or have any expectation of creating a, a bigger project. I just wanted to do something to help our community grow together. And so I figured, well, you know, I know how to do some things and they could be helpful. So what were you I doing when that. you came down here? Uh, when I came down, I was being a mom, when I had a business in the States that uh, my husband could go back and forth and run, and so I was really sort of just being a mom. So you started this whole operation on your kitchen table, Yeah. and then it grew to what? Um, Entre Amigos is a 15,000-square-foot facility. We have, um, you know, our central focus is being a library and education center, but we do all sorts of classes, and we do a lot of work around the environment, and I think if you're going to say our principal work is really around building community among... And preserving community. Preserving community. Just really creating a space for everybody to support each other, take care of each other, and grow together. Certainly our biggest concern was was the way that sometimes as communities grow, it, one community pushes out another. And we really wanted to help create a space where everybody could flourish and prosper. And, and that's the kind of work that we do. But first you had to educate everybody that you weren't enforcing or imposing a different culture. Yeah, you know, I, it didn't much matter because at the time, you know, it was just me and my kitchen table, and so nobody really cared. You know, if they came by and they had a good time, then that was, that was absolutely wonderful. And little by little, we grew and grew and grew and, and just sort of became what, what we are today. Now, that's one thing to talk about your organization as it relates to the community and the other communities around you. Mm -hmm. But what about people visiting the area? Can they get involved? Uh, absolutely. And it's been one of the things that has been really signature about the work that we do is that we're a really easy place for people to contribute and participate. And, and, how, and how can they contribute and how can they participate? Um, well, Entre Amigos has, because we're a large facility and we're doing so many things, we receive volunteers from all over the world all the time. So sometimes we receive individuals, families, groups 
corporations come in and maybe, you know, they'll contact me because they want to do a project, let's build a playground or let's do something in four hours. And we love to put on these sort of big events and you've got 100 people and they do something and it feels really good. So, But for Mr. and Mrs. Schmidlab coming down, how do they get involved? They do all the time. They give us a call. They say, hey, we'd like to volunteer. They can either stay in our housing, which is sort of like hostel housing, or they can rent themselves and have a vacation and volunteer at the same time. But they're volunteering to do what? So many things. Give me an example. All right. Um, People work in the library. They help sort books. They can play with kids and design games and activities with kids, especially if they speak Spanish. Lots of people who know art or have a certain skill, like they play the cello, they'll come in and they'll give a little mini concert or they'll, you know, do those sorts of things. We have those sorts of things all the time. So what you're saying is while you're down here, take a day off the beach, go visit your operation, whether you're the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker, and you will find something for them to do. Absolutely. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. when you realize that the country has over 4,000 miles of coastline. Most Americans don't even know that, but it's true. That means it's a lot of water to protect, a lot of animals to protect, a lot of, uh, of ecosystems to manage and hopefully preserve. And uh, my next guest knows a little bit about that. She's a biologist, but she's also the leader of, of the Wildlife Connection here in the region. Uh, Mara Rodriguez, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm good. So you have a very specific challenge here uh, because it's a very popular destination. People love going in the water. People like eating fish when they catch it. Uh, what's your biggest challenge down here? Okay, first, it's, as you mentioned, it's, uh, we have lots of people coming. So it's try to promote protection in many ways. Education. Education. Education for the people that lives here and education for the people that comes to visit. But it's my impression, and I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this as an American, that most Americans will come to a resort and never leave the resort, and they don't really want to be bothered by information. So how do you actually enlighten them? Okay, obviously, the things that we will always, like, encourage, it's first, don't throw garbage, or if you find some garbage, pick it up. If you're on the beach, it can be a, a hotel beach, and it can be a little bit of garbage. And also, uh, during the turtle season, uh, stay in, off the beach. Yes. It's not, not mainly stayed out of the beach. If you see a female that it's coming to lay eggs, don't bother the female. Just let her do what she needs to do and stay uh, meters uh, from her. You know, you talk about garbage on the beach. We just saw the story that ran the other day, and the pictures were just so disgusting of the whale that died after swallowing 80 plastic bags. Yes, it, it doesn't only happen on whales. It happens in, to all marine life. All the plastics that we throw in the water, or even if we put it on the beach, or it goes on the rivers, everything finishes on the ocean. And the animals would eat it. Turtles will eat the floating bags, thinking that it's a jellyfish. Or if the tiny animals will eat the tiny plastics that it will turn uh, the big plastics to, because they will begin to decompose and obviously the animals will eat that. And it's like, just like the food chain, it's like a plastic chain. 
all the animals will be eating that and it will be passing through animals. Right, so it, it recreates in a very negative way a different kind of food chain. Yes, exactly. So when you talk about educating visitors, how about educating the resorts about the use of plastic straws, about the use of plastic bags, about the use of plastic anything? Right now it's uh, very popular that what you said about the plastic things or the plastic straws. Uh, in many areas there are already people that don't ask for a straw, for example. Yeah, but I'm talking about a policy from the mm -hmm. hotel itself saying, we're not going to give you a straw anymore. Uh, they, there are some uh, areas where they have their announcement, we're not giving straw only if you're asking for it. Or uh, we don't give bags, or we if you don't want your towels, for example, to be washed. Right. Every hotel does every, that, sure. Every hotel has that. What I will also encourage, it's more than uh, asking for no straws or no plastic, it's to ask for bio, bio biodegradable plast, uh, plastic type or things that substitute plastic. The same things that we use but that can substitute the plastic that we are using. Uh, for example, the rings of the... The six-packs. The six-packs. The fish can eat that right or the, now. Or they can choke. They, uh, they can choke. I mean, literally. Uh-huh. But uh, if it's biodegradable, it's, they're going to eat it or it will just disappear. Right now, you can find even plastic forks, well, not plastic, real plastic, made of seeds of uh, avocado or different plants, and they will just get in nature just as they are biodegradable. On the, on the natural even, cycle. Even sure. straws, there's uh, avocado made of straws. Really? Yes. So people, if they come down here, they should just ask for an avocado straw. Yes, or, a bite, <laughs> uh, or an algae straw, if they really want a straw. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. What is the Wildlife Connection? Well, Wildlife Connection, it's a small organization. We are biologists and there's a wildlife photographer as well. We coordinate with the University in Guadalajara for some uh, things that we do in common. And what we always try to do is to educate and to make research. Make research in the area, in Banderas Bay, mainly uh, with cetaceans, that is whales and dolphins, and we do turtle protection on the area. Well, let's talk about whales, because I've come down so many times to this region, and I've seen so many different kinds of whales. Not just one, right? Well, in the area, we have around 16 different species of cetaceans. Wow. So uh, it's a very... Las Ballenas. Yes. We are in, in a transition from tropical water to template water. So we are subtropical, and you can find the species of both areas. And Las Ballenas, as you were saying, uh, we have four different species in here. Uh, one is the most common, it's a humpback whale, that it's a migratory one, and it's just here during the winter, mainly from December to March. The other, uh, the other one that we can sometimes find, it's gray whales, but it's very weird. It has to be very cold winter to see uh, one or two whales of the gray whales here. And we have tropical whales here that you can see them year round, it's the well, bright whale. I was about to ask. Okay, the bright whale. And we have minke whales. Now, of all the whales you just gave me, which is the one that's the most challenged, the most at risk? And the most at risk? Yeah. Uh, well, all of them are in danger. They are considered in danger. 
the population of the gray whale, it's estimated that it's recovering. The humpbacks, it's still on risk. Most of the whales have been in really in danger because they were hunted a lot. Right now, there are still some countries that still hunt them. But now we have another challenge, contamination, pollution, plastic, that it's killing whales. We mentioned before that there was a, a whale that died uh, with lots of plastic, and it's just not one case. It's happening very uh, often that if you open the whales that you find stranded to see what's going on with them, uh, sometimes you find that they are full of plastic because they're eating them. I remember out on Midway Island in the Pacific, and if people have, don't have a map, I'll tell you where that is. It's called Midway for a reason. It's midway between San Francisco and Tokyo. It happens to be the site of the most decisive naval battle in world history. But the island is overrun with goonie birds. And they're the funniest birds to watch because they take so long trying to get up in the air. Once they're up in the air, they're, at, they're acrobats, but they have to get up in the air first. But every once in a while, they'll be walking along the beach, and there are not many people there anymore. It's really run by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And you'll see a dead goonie bird washed up, and its stomach opens up. And what's in it? Plastic lighters, fishing line, netting, and now you know how the bird died. Yes, it, uh, I've seen that also uh, with uh, the caps or the, the bottle the caps. Yes. Uh, you see them uh, inside not only from a bird, from many marine life. I know. And, it's, and so for people who are visiting this hotel, for example, can they get in touch with you and will you take them out and show them what they need to see? Yes, of course. Uh, we have uh, some tours that we have organized in the way that have alternatives to the people and not only go and see animals. We give them educational, explanational first from getting on the boat or getting on the beach to see the turtles, for example. And after that, then we go and see the animals. And we have certain rules when we are with the animals of in the course. way we don't disturb them. So it's not interactive. Uh, it's interactive when animals decide to do it. Okay, <laughs> It's their we, choice. They, they are, we are under the rules, not under our rules. I will tell you a story which happened. In fact, my audio engineer, Ana Saldana, here was a witness to this. We were here doing a one-hour special with the, with the then president of Mexico, President Calderon. We were out looking for whales, and we didn't find any. And this is an area where we knew the whales were. Every, there would be so many whales. And somebody said, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a myth there's a legend that if children sing a song, the whales will come. And the president had brought his children that day. And we said, well, Mr. President, we just so happen to have kids on board. Would they sing a song? And they sang a song, and I'm not making this up, out of nowhere, a whale not only surfaced, but rose up and kissed the president. Well, it came up to the boat. We all saw it. And nobody could believe it. They, they thought we like made it up. We didn't. So I'm, I'm proof positive. I'm telling you, as what you just said, the whale decided to show up, heard the song. Yes, it's always our decision, and I always tell the people, the animals, and of course whales and dolphins, feel the vibes or the way the people are. And it's just like dogs. Some people will be attracted to the animals, and some will be just a repellent to the animals. And it happens a lot. So. But I, I, I agree, dogs know. They know if you're a dog lover, and they know if you're not, right away. Yes, it's, it's, it works like that, and I've seen it like that. And also, I've seen or witnessed very uh, specific cases where I know that it was meant to be, that the animal was going to make a contact with the person that I was with. My baby beside me at the wheel 
cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest knows a little bit about this location. He's a poet. He's considered the gastronomic ambassador of Puerto Vallarta. He's a hotelier. He's a chef. He's everything. Nacho <laughs> Cadena, how are you? How are you, Peter? I'm good. Well, you know, I know you're not from originally from here. You're from Sonora. But you've seen a lot of the changes here. You've seen it grow. Oh, yes. I've been, uh, I came to Puerto Vallarta about 40 years ago. So I have uh, seen the development of this place. And it's still, it's uh, growing a lot. But it's still is beautiful. It's, it's a piece of paradise always. Well, when you first came here, we're talking small fishing villages, period. Oh, yeah. And the food was very good at that time, too. Very special. But especially the nature, the, the trees, the, the flowers, and the ocean, you know, the bay, Banderas Bay, that is supposed to be one of the of the largest one and one of the most beautiful ones, too. So it's a privilege for us who live here, who work here, who, who enjoy here. When you see the growth, you also have to manage the growth. So what are you happy about? And what are you concerned about? Well, I'm very happy that we have uh, now uh, a, a lot of nice, beautiful hotels. Tourism service, hospitality is number one, and it's very good. The quality of the services in Puerto Vallarta and uh, Riviera Nayarit. And of course, you did a, you did something that was a little bit surprised. You opened a French restaurant. I do, yeah, I do. I, I do have a night cook and a beautiful restaurant too. But the things I don't like is that maybe sometimes we haven't taken enough care on the. Uh, design of the buildings uh, around the city. Give me an example. Well, downtown, downtown Puerto Vallarta has, uh, they, they try to make a very nice, uh, you know, meeting the, the nice places with the small places and make a sort of uh, walking piece there. And it's, it was a very good idea and, and it came very well, but not enough. We, we, it's so beautiful, you know. But you Nature to... made a good job and we have to, 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 you have to do at more. least a similar one, you know. Exactly. But, you know, I mentioned your restaurant. If you tell people Mexican food or you're going to Mexico, they're never going to think about French cuisine. Of course not. But that's what you're doing. Not really. Tell me. Not really. I, I uh, have my basis on, on, Mex on, on uh, French cuisine and Mexican cuisine. So it's, it's fusion. It's not a fusion. It's, it's a new creation. It's, I take the basis and the respect for the traditional things. And in a certain point... I make a twist. You turn left. To, to everything, and I go to other way, you know. So give me, give me an example of a dish that you've essentially created that, that, that represents that. Yeah, for example, I do a lot of things uh, with uh, fresh, fresh uh, let's make a better one, uh, duck. French do an orange duck. I, duck duck l'orange. Duck l'orange. I do the same thing, but I finish in totally in another way, you know. What other way? It's, it, that is very good, a little chili, a little pepper, uh, new, new vegetables, new presentation, and, and new, new spices, because what I do also is create spices. I don't go to the supermarket, and I'm not uh, happy buying the regular pepper and chilies and this and that, but I take a tortilla, and I burn it, and I make a powder of that, 
and I make a different thing, you know, and I, I put it uh, inside. You never know what is going to be there, but the flavor is going to be totally different. And how spicy is it? It's not too spicy. My <laughs> when somebody down here tells you it's not too spicy, you know what that means? <laughs> it's spicy. Mine, I promise you, Pedrito. I'm going to tell you, Pedrito. <laughs> He's calling moment. me Pedrito, okay. Because, no, mine is not. I use the chili peppers. I use it a lot, but most like aroma more than flavor. Now, what about la leche? La leche is it's very modern. It's very uh, unique. It's a restaurant with a totally different design, uh, very good food, and everything is different to any restaurants in the, in the world, I would say. Why? I change menu every single day. I don't have the, the, the specials of the day. No, no, no. The whole menu is new every single day. Is it, look, my history with the word special of the day is like what they serve at Sunday brunch. <laughs> right? It's all the things they couldn't sell. Oh, yeah, might be, might be true. In my case, I changed the whole thing. So every day is a special day. Every day is a special, yeah. Uh, but what oh, would be your signature dish at La Leche? I would say my, uh, my seafood dishes. My seafood Again, with dishes. the chili and the pepper? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Control. Again, when somebody in Mexico says to me, a little bit, it's a lot. Believe me. <laughs> I cook it every day, and I know... I don't like too much of a pepper. Oh, good. Okay, I'm coming. Then. No, no, I don't go for the hot, hot, uh, spicy dishes. I believe on the real flavors, you know. Now, you know, we've seen in America, you know, the whole concept of farm to table. You have a different concept. You call it kilometer zero. Yeah. What does that Be mean? Because uh, uh, kilometer zero means that I rather prefer to buy something not so famous as a, as a concept of food, but fresh. And uh, the, the fisherman is my friend. And the, and the girl that grows the lettuces is my friend. And everything gained in that way, you know? And it's, 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 I, don't, I don't care to, to make my business very good. I desire, my big desire is that everyone that participates in the chain of the preparation, because, because when I serve a dish, there's a lot of people behind me that went to the ocean, you know, fished the fish, got the oysters, prepared things, the, the, the girl that uh, seeds, uh, everything, you know, onions, garlic. I cannot do nothing without all these people. And they're all your friends. Of course. So here's my question. Do they eat at your restaurant? They, they, yeah, they go to my restaurant, of course, and we get together once in a while, and we, we cheers because of the success of everyone, and we care for uh, their families at the same time, and uh, there's a new child uh, for the young girl that grows the lettuces, for example, and everyone is happy. We make a, we make a little party, <laughs> and I cook, and they cook, too, because the fishermen are very good cooks. Too. So at the end of the day, it's one big family. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Talk about all the different species of, of sea life here, but we can't forget the birds. And in fact, whether you're a birder or not, you come down here, you're going to see birds, and a lot of them. And joining me now, the executive director of the San Pancho Bird Observatory, Luis Morales. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. It's uh, my pleasure to be here with you uh, in this show, and uh, I hope uh, uh, to share a lot of the information of uh, extraordinary bird diversity here in the Banderas Bay area. Well, 
since you've opened that door now, let's talk about that. <laughs> you talk about Banderas Bay. I know the whales are out there, but what about the birds? Give me an idea of how many different species we're talking about. So uh, this, uh, this area, what we uh, know as the Banderas Bay, which uh, comprises both uh, the states of um, Jalisco and um, Nayarit, uh, has a, a bird diversity of about uh, 300 species used around the area, which uh, is uh, about 3% uh, of the world's uh, bird diversity just in this, uh, That's huge. in this area. That is huge for yeah. uh, such a uh, relatively small uh, area. So give me an idea of what kind of birds... I mean, I am a, a novice birder, okay? I mean, I admit yes. that. Mm -hmm. But as I walk down the beach or I walk inland... I'm going to see, as you just said, a very wide diversity. But what's the one bird that is your, you know, piece de resistance? The one bird that people go, "Oh my God!" <laughs> well, that's a that's a very tough question, you know. And uh, but I will I will answer. I will I will do my best to answer your question on my favorite species. Uh, but um, the area, you know, what is uh, really special about um, this mountain range is that it has a high number of endemic species. So uh, some of the most uh, charismatic species that are unique to this area are, uh, for instance, the roset crowned moth moth. You know, that Say that again? The, Say uh, that again? Roset crowned moth moth. Okay. Roset crowned moth moth that is in the, um, in the sort of the related to the toucans, you know. Colorful. And, and yes, very colorful. Uh, we have all other very uh, color colorful species that you see all around that are the yellow-winged caciques. You know, actually you can see their uh, nests as you drive here, you know, the, uh, another uh, endemic species is the black-throated magpie that is actually in the front cover of Mexico's uh, bird bible, you know, which is a, a Howland uh, web uh, uh, field guide. But, you know, here we are in western Mexico, and we're talking about the southern and central Nayarit coast. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a lot of migratory birds, too. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, about uh, five... Yeah, 59% of this uh, 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 bird diversity that uh, in this area is uh, migratory species mostly coming from um, Canada and the U.S. You know, and uh, here's an uh, extraordinary, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's actually a natural process. You know, but there's a great coincidence, Peter, between the um, sort of the, the season, you know, for, migra for bird migration and also for uh, what we call the tourist season, you know, which is, you know, normally starts in the fall, you know, and finishes in the winter. And this is yeah. when we receive most of the tourism from North and America. And you receive all the birds, too. And all the birds. And it's, like, it's like the butterflies. Exactly. It's like the, the monarch butterflies. butterflies. And the whales. <laughs> yes. And so, um, and, but at a time like this, we're now in the summer, you're going to see a different kind of bird. Exactly. Exactly. This time of the year, actually, we have some species migrating from South America, you know, because in, South, in the, in the, in the southern, southern cone yeah. is the winter, right, as, we, as is our uh, uh, boreal summer. So uh, there's a species that are doing exact, the sex, exact same thing, you know, that uh, uh, our North American species are doing, just running away from the cold, you know, and coming to this uh, beautiful uh, paradise of uh, Puerto Vallarta and the Riviera Nayarit. <laughs> Who can it's blame amazing. them? <laughs> and you're the perfect person to take them on a, on a tour. <laughs> exactly. And you do it. 
Exactly. That's uh, that's what we do. Uh, we do uh, uh, bird watching uh, trips all over the area, and we work with a number of um, different um, tour operators and companies um, Kids that too. do this. Exactly. We do a lot of uh, education and uh, community uh, work, you know, and to take care of uh, sustainability. We're talking with Luis Morales, who's the executive director of the San Pancho Bird Observatory. Before I let you go, your website is www.birdingsanpancho.net. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. My next guest has a very interesting history. In fact, this community has a very interesting history. He's the former director of ACT, which he's going to explain, as well as Vallarta Pride right here in, uh, in Nayarit. And his name is Bill Hebner. How are you, sir? I'm very good. I'm Another expat. Another expat. Another expat. From where? Uh, I'm originally from Greenwich, Connecticut, and I've been down here 13 years. And you came because? I came because I followed someone down that I was in love with. See? So I came for love, and then... If you look out the window, you know, you yeah. fall in love with Vallarta. So that's the other relationship. Correct. Right. And the guy you came down for? I ditched him, and then I, <laughs> and I, and I wound up marrying a Mexican uh, who was here on vacation and never who left. Who knew, right? Who knew? See, that's, you know what? Gay, straight, it doesn't matter. The beautiful thing about travel is plan A never works, and all of a sudden you turn left instead of turning right, and your life changes on a dime totally. in a place you'd never expected. Totally. If you had asked me 13 years ago what I would be doing now with my life, I would have told you you were absolutely insane. What were you doing in Greenwich? Uh, well, actually, I wasn't in Greenwich. I, I lived outside of Boston. Okay. I'm a former psychotherapist, and I retired, and basically I was kind of like a glorified super gay circuit boy traveling around, going to all the different circuit parties that there are all over the world. Right. And that was really my life. And I... You could have written a book. I could have written a book. Yeah. Um, I could definitely write a book now. Because? Because, again, my life is totally different. You know, I, I was one of the founding members of the business association that we started six years ago with Vallarta Pride. But let's talk about that, because I've been coming down to Mexico since I was, like, 21, and there was no visible gay lifestyle down here. In fact, with a very strong Catholic church, which still is, by the way, I mean, it was the unspoken of all unspokens, right? Well, the, the gay community here is probably about 40 years old at least, but I have friends that are from... But I'm talking about coming out. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, it was, it's always been kind of an international uh, mecca. Because it's an artist community as well. Correct. And, you know, it started with Elizabeth Taylor's uh, hairdresser and film people, and they wound up finding a, a kind of like a transgendered uh, waiter on the beach, and they fell in love with her, basically. And so they started coming back year after year after year to because see of, her. Because of her. Because of her. Unbelievable. Right. And so as that then spread, you know, the thing, the thing about Vallarta, it's, it's a very, even though it's a Catholic culture, um, it's very accepting. The Mexicans' first stance to anything is to accept. And they're also extremely friendly. So what you're really saying is that from the moment you got down here, even though you dissed the other guy, you felt at home. Yes. I felt totally at home. Uh, and very easy to get to know people, and I felt very, very safe here. Um, and it really didn't matter that I was gay, straight, purple, or green. People were going to accept me, and they're very loving and very easy to talk to and those kind of things. And I, 
I felt like... Now, you, be, you better be careful if you want to head north, because I hear they're building a wall. I don't know, well, I but... Hope, I actually hope they do to keep everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because once people come to Mexico, they have a tendency to want to come back again. Oh, listen, put me in that category. Right, Absolutely. And, and I think that's why there's so much negative publicity on the part of the United States, because they know once you come here, you're not, you're, you know, you're going to stay. Listen, my girlfriend's now making her fourth trip to Mexico. She's Turkish. And today, she said, we should live here. I'm going to go, oh, God, here we go. Here it comes. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, if you have money from the United States that you can then bring with you, you know, it's a great place. I love living here. I mean, the climate is fantastic, the food is amazing, and the people are wonderful. Now, let's talk about the food, because that's had a remarkable transformation in the last 15 years. I mean, it's oh, no... Oh, well, here in Vi yeah. Yes, yeah. in Vallarta. I mean, we're, we're, the, we're known as the second greatest collection of restaurants versus uh, Ciudad Mexico. I mean, the variety of, Mexi of restaurants here is amazing, and the food is great all the way from the taco stands up to the gourmet restaurants. And let's talk about, while we have some time, a Vallarta Pride. Yes, okay. So Vallarta Pride, we started um, because uh, at the time, Playa del Carmen was trying to vie for the gay crown for being the... And we're not going to let that happen. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, and because we really are the the gay beach destination. I mean, we have 23 different cocktail lounges. We have four or five different boat cruises. We have hotels, restaurants, blah, 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 blah. Listen, if but we didn't have a pride. Listen, if truth be told, I've been living on Fire Island since I'm six months old, thanks to my mom and dad. So I know who parties out there. Right. I mean, we can't even hold a candle to you guys. Right. I know. Right. So we, we started Pride, again, as a way of kind of like solidifying the fact that we are a gay beach destination. And, um, and it was interesting because half of us are gringo and half of us are Mexican. And so, you know, traditionally Pride was a political thing. So what we did was we made a cultural event. It's, it's a lifestyle thing. Yeah. And so it basically is a giant commercial for the gay life in Vallarta. And bottom line is, if you're straight, you come down here, you're going to feel at home. If you're gay and you come down here, you're going to feel at home. Correct. And you can't say that about a lot of places. No. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. My next guest is an expat. She uh, from Vancouver, British Columbia, and then came down for a change of lifestyle and, like many expats, decided to stay. That's right. And she's now actually the editor of the Vallarta Tribune, Madeline Milne. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. You miss, you miss Canada at all? Oh, a little bit, sure. <laughs> but you've been here how long now? I'm going on, I'm just finishing up my seventh year now, so... And there's news. You, you actually report news down here. We do, yeah. And what is the news down here? What, what do people need to know? Because, well, because before you even ask them that question, you know, there's development news, there's resort news, there's environmental news, there's, there's uh, a connection between all three, isn't there? Absolutely. For the 
Vallarta Tribune, we like to focus on the positive news. We like to tell our readers about the good things about Mexico to counteract some of the negative press that's out there about the country. So, Well, can I, can I, can I interject something as a devil's advocate here? Uh, I'm not about positive or negative. I'm about practical. I'm not about promoting. I'm about presenting. So I understand where you're coming from because if you've heard my show before, you would know that I happen to think the State Department advisories are misleading. I happen to think they're, um, even with the best of intentions, they're not good, full of good information. They're painting with too broad a, a brush. And, you know, there are four or five states in Mexico right now that are being classified by the State Department as Category 4, do not travel. And I can't understand why that would apply to Sinaloa since Mazatlan is in Sinaloa, and you're putting Mazatlan in the same category as Syria. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, absolutely. And what has the effect been down here? Well, I... It's been a while since Puerto Vallarta's faced any real troubles, but for example, in Cabo, not too long ago, they released a new State Department, and it really affected their tourism. A lot of people canceled their trips here over Christmas and, and in the high season. And, and, and we were down there, no problemo. And there is no problem. It, the crime that we see here in Mexico very, very rarely affects tourists or even the expat community. It's, it's concentrated in particular areas with particular people. And you're the only weekly English newspaper down here. We are, yeah. So what's the biggest, I hate to say it, controversy now, other than trying to counteract, you know, State Department advisories? <laughs> controversy. We've got no controversies down here. Oh, stop. <laughs> we, I think probably there's a bit of a, um, people are getting a little bit up in arms because there's just is so much development happening. You know, we're seeing tons of new hotels and resorts. Well, and when you came down here seven years ago, this hotel wasn't here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's it. Just people trying to find balance between Old Mexico and New Mexico, authentic experiences. and Okay, so why did you choose Puerto Vallarta? For a couple of reasons. Um, because it's really easy to get in and out of with an international airport. It's quick back to Vancouver. It's an only a four-hour flight, so it's nothing to get home if I needed to get back home. Um, but also because of the bay itself, you know, with the mountains and the ocean, the nature that comes right up onto the beach, it's it's stunning and coming from Vancouver which is also you know very similar with the mountains and the ocean it's true um, it feels like home you know it's 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 a really similar feeling and you know we talk about Banderas Bay when I first came down to interview the legendary director John Houston he was here yeah I mean and this was a little fishing village absolutely Puerto Vallarta is what it is today because of him and and the movies that he filmed here well Elizabeth, the movie with Elizabeth Taylor, Night of the Iguana. Yeah, so she wasn't actually in it. She was just accompanying uh, she was Richard, Richard Burton. Burton. Yeah, well, so. For all intents and purposes, we thought she was in it because <laughs> every shot that was taken down here was yeah, of them. Absolutely. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still a fishing village. There's still fishing going on. But how do you manage the growth? It's... It's tricky. I mean, we are blessed that we still have a lot of open spaces. Um, and I think in some ways they've done a good job of concentrating. You know, people lament all the buildings going up, but they're all within one small area, and that kind of keeps everybody in that area and protects some of the bigger open spaces. I mean, there's the Four Seasons, and there's the St. Regis, and they're very close to each other. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the one thing I can tell you, and in fact, I don't have to tell you because you already know it, is the one thing that's really exploded here is the food scene. Absolutely. It's amazing. Right? Your favorite places? Oh, I can't tell you that. <laughs> yeah, you can. Give me, a, give me a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Let's go. Okay, well, so for breakfast, we're going to go to Alcatraz's. Because? Because it's the most authentic breakfast 
uh, place in in Mexico. And in what Bayern. am I going to order? Well, you're going to order eggs with chilaquiles. With what? Chilaquiles. Explain. They are fried tortilla chips that are tossed in either a green or red salsa, covered in uh, cream and. So we're talking thinly disguised eggs with a kick to it. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and lunch. Lunch. I'm going to take you on a boat, and we're going to head down to... By the way, anytime you take me on a boat, I'll eat anything. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Good. Okay, so where are we going? We're going to go to Yalapa. Because? Because it's an adorable little beach town that is only accessible by boat. And, I'm loving this already. Right? And it uh, has a bunch of palapa restaurants on the beach. Pick which one you want. They're all excellent. And what are we ordering? Whatever is fresh that day. So that's a ceviche moment. Absolutely. Or a grilled fish. But caught that day on the day boat, put it, throw it in the oven, and that's it. Exactly. Or in the grill, I should say. Yeah. All right, and now the pièce de résistance, dinner. Well, I would say likely the best restaurant is Café des Artistes in Puerto Vallarta. Um, it's spectacular. It's been here for quite some time. Um, everybody knows it, and it will give you just a small sample of, of the type of dining you can do here you know it's it's what you may not be expecting exactly yeah it's not tacos it's it's more it's it's gourmet and it's wonderful well so much of the stereotype of mexican food is enchilada and and tortillas and tacos and a guy wearing a sombrero and that is definitely not this no no we have over 200 restaurants in downtown puerto vallarta alone and you can eat just about any kind of cuisine you want Right. And by the way, when you get off at the airport, please don't be misled by seeing Johnny Rockets. <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. You don't have to go there. Your comfort level doesn't have to be reached there. That's for truly unevolved American tourists. It is true, yes. Right? Although their strawberry shakes ain't bad. <laughs> I didn't have one today, but I know I can get one if I go there. But that's not why I came down here. No. Right? You want to immerse yourself in the culture, and of course you want to read the Vallarta Vallarta Tribune. Absolutely. Of course, the editor of that is none other than Madeline Hill, who's joining me now. Madeline, thanks for coming. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.